0: It's their financial incentive for their client base to not be wanting to put 10% of their assets in Bitcoin.
1: Hello there from Bedford. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I have an interview with Bill Barheight to discuss Goldman Sachs Investor Call, which happened this week. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. And don't skip these. It is the sponsors that allow me to do this. So first up today, we have the future of Bitcoin and financial services. We have BlockFi. Have you checked out their new mobile app yet? Everything you expect from BlockFi packed into your phone. You have a quick and easy way to sign up. You can get started in just a few minutes, allowing you to earn interest, borrow USD and instantly access your portfolio With the BlockFi mobile app, you can open an interest account and earn money on your Bitcoin. And using Bitcoin as collateral, you can take out a USD loan. The app also enables funds to be transferred directly from a crypto wallet into your BlockFi account. And that's not all. They've got so much stuff coming soon. So many updates coming to the app. If you're interested in finding out more, please do your own research and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com, or download the app, which is available in the Apple and Android app stores. Okay, let's also talk about Kraken. They put the power in your hands to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. And so much growing interest with Bitcoin at the moment. Trading very close to 10k, I think we're going to break through soon. And if you're new to Bitcoin, if you want to dip your toes in, there is no better place to get started. At kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and buy Bitcoin. And they also have a beautiful mobile first app, so you can buy Bitcoin on the go. They have world-class security. They are the most trusted cryptocurrency exchange on the market and with their 24 7, 365 customer support, they will help you with any issue you have, whoever you are and wherever you are. There is no better place to buy Bitcoin. Find out more at kraken.com or download the app, which is available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K R A K E N P R O. Okay, so onto the show today and have Bill Barhart from. Arbor back on the show, he's been on a couple of times before and today we're discussing the Goldman Sachs investor call this week which took aim at Bitcoin. Now, I'm sure you've seen it, I'm sure you've seen the presentation or at least the talking points on Twitter but if you haven't, Goldman held an advisory call this week for their clients in which they listed five reasons that Bitcoin is not an asset class or a suitable investment. Firstly, Bitcoin does not generate cash flow like bonds. Secondly, Bitcoin does not generate any earnings through exposure to global economic growth. Thirdly, Bitcoin does not provide consistent diversification benefits, given its unstable correlations. Fourthly, Bitcoin does not dampen volatility, given its historical volatility of 76%, and Goldman pointed to March 12th when Bitcoin fell 37%, but yeah, conveniently choosing to mention that oil went negative. And fifthly, Bitcoin does not show evidence of hedging against inflation. This bearish report was both lazy and ignorant, and let's be honest, it was just bullshit. So anyway, I asked Bill, CEO of Arbor, to come on the show and debunk this, go through their talking points. So I hope you enjoy this one. If you do have any questions or any feedback, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at did.com. Also, if you haven't checked out Defiance recently, I have been launching a new style of show. I've got a couple of mini documentaries up there at the moment. I've got a show all about money. It's called The Money Game, Cheaters Edition, and this week I also published The Future of Technology, The Good the bad on Orwellian. That's over at defiance.news. Please check that out. Let me know what you think. Anyway, have a great weekend and I will see you soon. Bill, good to see you again.
0: You too, Peter. How are you doing, bud?
1: Yeah, really good. Life is good. Everything's good at the moment. Uh, well, life's good in, in a strange world at the moment and lots of strange things going on. Obviously, this pandemic's weird. What's happening right now up in Minnesota is really weird. Trump's executive order that's coming out today is weird. Everything's a bit weird and outside of that life's good. So it's really hard to enjoy it because I'm kind of worrying for other people at the moment.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, we're in a SaaS business, software business, and obviously uh, people who aren't retail, it's tough. And I count my blessings and lucky stars that I've got a team that's all doing well and healthy and family that's well and healthy. And I know a lot of people uh, have it uh, a lot worse. And so uh, I pray and pull for them and that uh, we're all going to basically look back on this and it'll be history in a couple of years and not reality.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I also, like, I'm hoping this is some reset, some chance to reset right now. Uh, there's a lot of things that I think needed a reset. I, I think education needs a reset. I think sure. healthcare needs a reset. I think money. I mean, we, we're, we're in money. We think money right. needs a reset. Right. And I think this is a maybe it's a bit of an inflection point really but i am hoping i'm hoping a lot of things can get reset i don't want when people say oh i can't wait to get back to normal It's like i don't want to get back to that i don't want to get back to a lot of the bullshit before so right. i hope we can come come through this with with some things a bit different
0: yeah you know you don't want the catalyst to be a global pandemic but we do have structural issues on our planet and the way we do things that are antiquated. You mentioned education, it's antiquated. Banking is antiquated. Money, the, the money printing is out of control. So, so yes, I, I agree. I, I wish it wouldn't take a global pandemic to maybe catalyze some of these issues into change, but so be it. This is where we're at. And, and let's see if we can come out better as a, as a society on the other end. Yeah,
1: I put out a show yesterday on my other show, Defiance, about technology, the good, the bad, and the Orwellian. And and in in that, I I brought out a quote by Rahm Emanuel, who was Obama's chief of staff, where he Mm -hmm. said, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. And a lot of people use that negatively with regards to the government, that they won't let a good crisis go to waste, as happened with the Patriot Act. But at the same time, I think also for us as people, we can also not let a good crisis go to waste. I I don't know about you lifestyle-wise, but... I mean, in 12 weeks, I haven't had to put – you call it gas. We call it petrol. I haven't had to put petrol in my car. I'm barely driving it. Uh, my bike's been fixed. I'm cycling everywhere. Yeah. I'm running every day. I've got a Peloton as well, so when the kids are here, I can oh. exercise. Right. We're cooking We're cooking nearly every meal. We're spending time. Mm-hmm. There's so much good stuff that's come out of it. And yeah. uh, I don't want to go back to the old ways. And I also just think – this is a chance to not let a good crisis get away. This is a chance to shine a lens on some government stuff and right. and, and and try us as people to to change some things. So think, I think that's what I'm hoping.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's very well said, and I I genuinely hope that people who uh, you know are struggling right now um, that we are able to help them in a way that just doesn't cause society to have uh, you know to dig a hole deeper society, that we can actually help them in a way that moves everyone forward. Uh, I do worry about that. I think the way the shutdown was handled uh, in the U.S. uh, and the U.K. was very poor. Uh, A lot of people are dying that didn't have to die. But as you said, for the people who have it better off, I think they're able to at least see this situation as an opportunity to maybe change some of our ways, drive less, uh, more time with family, focus on what's important express a little bit of gratitude for the employment and, and the fact that my family is healthy uh things that matter right like you said mm. uh it puts it, it it helps if anything it should help uh make it clear to all of us what matters and what doesn't matter
1: yeah well here we're here today to talk about goldman sachs because yeah. i think they baited us all this week you think possible i think so because it came out of uh like the headline of what the call was going to be about
0: i I was was, being um, facetious i mean they had this report which was all about macroeconomics and almost like an afterthought they had this this little bitcoin section at the end which was clearly a you know kind of a a loaded uh, clickbait smoking gun but on the other hand it's very clear that the one or two analysts that did this uh are very anti anti anti-bitcoin but the well, yeah. you know, pri- primary impetus for their report was to talk about recovery and, and macroeconomics and the fact that the stock market is looking rosy based on the fact that we've printed insane amounts of money with a lot of cash already in the sidelines.
1: Well, it, it, despite what they did, I actually still take it as bullish for Bitcoin. And I'll tell you why. It's that? I, I obviously have read your report and you're right up on it, and I think you did a great job breaking it down into – Rather than you know, going point by point, you actually great, broke it down into four categories. I think you missed one as well. Okay, what's that? I think I think the thing that you missed. I not that you missed. I, I, maybe you didn't, but I would add into it <laughs> is that it it wasn't also balanced and impartial because they didn't make any attempt to talk about some of the good things about Bitcoin. It wasn't like here's the good, here's the bad. This is our perception. It's mainly bad. It right. was here's right. all the reasons to stay away from Bitcoin. And I almost summarise it as the reason is that it's Bitcoin doesn't fit in with their view on economics. Bitcoin doesn't fit in with their, not just them. I mean, look, they're part of the system. They're part of what I call the money game. They're part of the corruption, which allows them to print money and and make inflate the value of the things that they own and and their buddies own so i think it was just not even in any way impartial because there are a lot of things they could have talked up and said look here's some good stuff here's some bad stuff
0: yep that's right and i think that and by the way i don't think this is goldman and and i actually spoke off the record with a a friend of mine who's very senior there and referred to a very specific person who is anti-crypto within Goldman that I believe wrote the majority of those slides. So I I, I doubt there's a groundswell within Goldman where they have a big, strong anti-bias against Bitcoin. I think most people within Goldman are probably interested in what's going on to some degree. And I know firsthand from speaking from friends that do wealth management that they get people inbound who are interested in Bitcoin and they can't service them, which is part of the issue, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're financially disincentivized to deal with it because when a client comes to them and says i want to invest in bitcoin they say we can't help you they'll say go to Abra or go to coinbase or, or do whatever you have to do to buy it but we can't help you know and if you look at the quotes that i that i included from from you know von Mises' famous famous work it basically mm-hmm. makes the point that an inflationary model is at someone's expense right and and generally what happens is it's the goldman clients the rich that are getting richer In an inflationary model at everyone else's expense. It's the one percent and 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 this why we it was intuitively obvious to a subset of the population Which is why we had that that wall street anti-wall street movement post uh post lehman where people were you know, protesting in parks near wall street and and you know, I I think this is becoming kind of a, a, a Circular discussion where it just seems to happen now every few years where the government has to print insane amounts of money via whatever means qe1 qe75 whatever the hell it is to basically deal with this issue and like i said it's it's very obvious that it's the uber rich who are effectively you know able to f- reap the vast majority of the benefits of this this money printing without end
1: well it's the uh, privatized profit socialized losses
0: yeah that's exactly and, right
1: and it's a goldman guy now as treasury secretary
0: which we had under under bush as well remember tarp i mean that was goldman driven
1: yeah it's uh the, the funny thing is it, it really stinks right and maybe it's just me maybe it's only because i've been in bitcoin for a couple of years maybe it's always been obvious but it, i just feel like i feel like they're doing this right in our under our noses now we're, we're kind of we're seeing it being done i think before it was a little bit more insidious and secret i feel like they're almost just doing all these things in front of us and just saying, well, we're getting away with it. We're going to continue getting away with it. And I don't understand it, Bill. I'm like, how is this happening?
0: I mean, I'm not a a big conspiracy theorist guy. I tend to try to be practical, common sense. Usually the most logical explanation is the most likely to be true. Uh, I'm, I'm that kind of a guy in general. And I think that there's logical explanations, mostly based around financial incentives for how people behave. Goldman is incentivized to behave a certain way. They're incentivized to support an inflationary system that, like you said, maximizes opportunities for the wealthy and business and socializes the downside uh, via government borrowing and you know a deflationary asset like bitcoin is orthogonal to the very idea of you know socializing losses and and managing a currency it's just it it's just completely outside of their incentive system so when you look at it from that perspective you can understand why they might say that hey this is not a good bet because we don't want people to believe that they need a hedge against the system because the system is fine the system is set up so that if we need to print more and inflate the currency and manage the money supply, there's always somebody there as a backstop that's going to be able to do that for us, right? And so therefore, why do we need a hedge? There is no hedge, but they more or less said the same thing about gold, right? They're they're almost incentivized right now to make the same point about gold that they're about Bitcoin. They just made the point in different ways, you know, where they, they specifically looked and compared what happened with Bitcoin, the tulips and all its other nonsense, which is completely ridiculous because I don't really consider tulips an asset class. And 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 so we've never had a truly new asset class in a thousand years, as far as I can tell. And and Bitcoin represents that. Now oil maybe, you know, was a new asset in the sense that it wasn't used in the way it was used post like 1940, but but still it was there before. Whereas Bitcoin simply didn't exist 20 years ago, and it's worth $100 billion plus now. And that's something that I think for a traditional Keynesian economist is very difficult to put into context versus what they're incentivized to do, which is maintain the status quo.
1: Well, this is where, when I was going through the slides, I was like, there's just such obvious bullshit in here. So a couple of things that really stood out on the first slide, I mean, when when they said it's it's not an asset. I mean, it's like how can you claim it's not an asset to begin sure. with? Uh, that's a, that's your bias on the table. And then it says it did, do not show evidence of hedging inflation. Well, so what, well what time frame it, it, are you picking? Like a very short time frame here because anyone who's bought over three, I think three years ago, almost certainly has hedged inflation. Sure. So that's bullshit. And then they start talking about. Um, volatility and the price of Bitcoin fell thirty percent in one day. But I mean, what what did we see happen with oil this
0: year? Or stocks? But, but I mean, go back to yeah. eighty seven or ninety eight. I mean, pick your poison, right? And and so I agree they cherry picked information there without actually giving everyone a, a a whole picture, which is unfortunate because even if you wanted to make the point that they're making, which I wouldn't, um, you could do it in a way that's not biased and that actually presents to your earlier point a whole mm-hmm. picture a holistic view of where this could fit in right here are the risks here's the upside here's the downside and the reality is is they don't talk about they did mention you know hedge funds and volatility but that's not really an asymmetric return opportunity discussion right that's a make money whether the market goes up or down and let the hedge fund guys deal with that when the reality is is if you're really looking at what's going on there's still a massive, untapped, asymmetric opportunity here for Bitcoin. And for them not to even mention that in any way is disingenuous, it's dishonest, it doesn't actually gel with any reality that I've researched or seen. Their comments about scarcity, sorry, I'm going to segue into something else, but their comments about yeah. scarcity were just pure bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to say that uh, just because we create you know the coin and use the word Bitcoin in it, that it somehow affects the scarcity of Bitcoin. Well, that's just pure nonsense. MIT college grads are forking Bitcoin all the time. We just don't know about it, right? They're having fun forking it, and it, like I, I think I use the the terms Billcoin One, Billcoin Two, Billcoin Three to, to leave out the word Bitcoin. That doesn't affect Bitcoin scarcity because I just forgot to call it Bitcoin something. Right. So it just it just shows a complete lack of understanding or or they assume that the readers of their report have a complete lack of understanding. So by basically making an argument that they probably couldn't holistically understand, they would simply assume that Gobin knows better, which is very yeah. dangerous.
1: Yeah. Well, that was the thing when I was going through it. I was like, hmm. Do they just not know what they're doing? Have they got the wrong analysts on this who's taken a look at it and come to some kind of naive conclusions which which happens, you know, when you're new to bitcoin there's a lot to get your head around. And and I really like the point that you told people to go and read the report uh, sorry the, the document uh, Matt by Wong Matt. From yeah, from yeah, Paradigm. Fantastic. Because because what what Matt does really well in there I think I don't know if he intends to but he shows the complexity of how many things you have to get your head around right. quite early on. It's a lot, you know my understanding of bitcoin i think still rudimentary three four years in you know there's economics there's game theory there's technology there's a lot of things to get your head around so i couldn't figure out bill i was like is this just somebody who's just out of his depth doesn't really understand it gone for some cheap talking points or have they started out from day one saying we need we need here to discredit bitcoin and just put people off i think it's it's the latter.
0: I, I, well, I actually think it's too things. I, I think it's Goldman Sachs' version of clickbait. I think Goldman has learned, like everyone else, that you can sensationalize a headline with Bitcoin and get a lot more attention than you would otherwise get. And two, it's their financial incentive for their client base to not be w- wanting to put 10% of their assets in Bitcoin because they can't service those clients. And so when you put those two together, it's a, it's a perfect storm for exactly mm-hmm. what they did which is to basically say, we're going to talk about the, the recovery, which is going to look like a V, which they're financially incentivized for that to happen, whether you think it's going to happen or not. I don't. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but 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 I don't think it's going to happen. And they're also financially incentivized to basically say, and when it's happening, don't put your money in Bitcoin for these reasons, whether these reasons are true or not. And that's what we got. And and I actually think it was probably one or two people inside of Goldman. It's not now when they send out the report, it doesn't say written by this person to my knowledge. I, I don't remember the slides offhand. It says this is a report from Goldman-Sachs, this group. And so it's representative of, therefore, of Goldman-Sachs' beliefs. Now, I actually don't believe that. I think it's representative of a couple of these very specific analysts. And I actually believe I know the name of the primary person, but because I'm not proof, I'm not going to say it. But but I think it more or less comes down to this one person. And I think it's a she and she just doesn't like. Bitcoin for whatever reason, which is fine. I mean, I, there's lots of people that don't like Bitcoin, uh, but they also don't write about it and put the Goldman Sachs header on it. So, right. And so at that point, if you do that and, and and you're in my, you know, and you're in my way, you either get out of the way or I'm going to run you over, which is, you know, what I chose to do in this case. But I, I, anyway, long answer, long response to your comment. I think that's what's going on. I think they they understand, like everyone else, there's a certain amount of clickbait to be had. Uh, in the bitcoin space for better or worse often for worse and they combined that with what they were going to do anyway which is their economic outlook for you know post recovery
1: but but we had this with JP Morgan i mean they were the same a couple of years ago Jamie Dimon writing it off and look we've seen this year their incentives have changed now they're now doing business with bitcoin companies they're providing sure. banking services sure. and so i i guess at some point either goldman's they will there'll be a push or a pull right they'll be pushed or pulled into being involved in bitcoin but i still think it is an an inevitability for them i think it's an inevitability for anyone
0: i i don't know look i think that uh i consider goldman sachs to be a trailing indicator uh when it Mm -hmm. comes to technology i went through this uh in the early 90s when i was first getting into commercialization of the internet um you know netscape and other places the internet analysts You know, around the time of the Netscape IPO or beforehand, we're very bearish on uh, the technology. It's porn and gambling. Sound familiar? Um, You know, here we are all over again, and I consider them still to be a trailing indicator. And so, in that regard, it doesn't really mean much to me personally, except that it has an undue influence on people that don't have that perspective. That don't understand exponential technologies because the analysts are telling them that they don't understand it. Like the same people that say Tesla's stock price is bullshit. Those are the people that don't understand exponential growth in battery supply chain, in electric cars, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same people that don't understand that that we've never had a a fundamental change in the way money works. You know, software is eating the world except for money. Well, guess what? Now it's finally happening for money. And and they don't want to accept that. So you know, they're they're always going to be a trailing indicator, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, that's, I think that's a good way of putting it. Well, the, this is a chance to debunk it all, and yeah, let's go through because, like I said, you've got four key areas, and I think it's yeah. important important we cover each one at a time. So the first one, sure, is that they just do not understand or want to acknowledge what a deflationary asset is, or eventually happens. And I think what's very interesting is what you put in there because you did talk about the Ludwig von. Mises, how he lays out the fundamental truth of uh, monetary expansion, yeah. and I'm going to quote quote the quote that you put in just so people okay. can hear it because this All right. this actually made me rethink something. I'm not bringing to tear to my eye,
0: but <laughs> go for it. I don't want to get <laughs> emotional it, now. It's kind of early in the morning.
1: Well, I tell you why it, it was interesting for me because I was like I was always like inflation is just a natural part of the economy. Then I I came into Bitcoin, understand a bit about Bitcoin, and and then started to realize actually if if you're a saver and you're prudent, deflation is actually Good for you. So started to think, are, are we being positive about, should we be positive about deflation? But the quote here itself, economics recommends neither inflationary nor deflationary policy. Right. It does not urge the governments to tamper with the market's choice of a medium of exchange. It establishes, the, uh, establishes only the following truths, which are listed. And people can see them. They should go and read your article. But but the point being is that it's it's neither. And it's just that the market should be left to itself. So... I think it was a really good thing that that you identified this. But we still have kind of like inflation Stockholm
0: syndrome. Sure, because we don't know. Well, we have all been in the West, pretty much globally now, even in communist China, indoctrinated into this idea that money is a government-created asset, which at one point was backed by gold, but doesn't matter. It's a government-created asset where government via some voodoo magic that they understand that we're not really privy to understanding because we're not smart enough controls the supply of that asset and again indoctrinated into the idea that that's the way it's supposed to be and that's what's good for us well who the fuck decided that right so all he's saying in a much more eloquent way than i'm ever capable of saying and no we made that up right it doesn't have to be that way you can decide to keep it that way if that's what everybody wants, so be it. You get what you get. If you do it the other way, which is to say there is no government money, there's just, let's say, gold coins, which is what we had in Roman times, I believe, then you have what you have as well, right? But either way, we made it up. And what he's saying is is that maybe deflationary policy is better because you're actually not inflating somebody's wealth or, 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 you know, the tr- making, um, inflating the treasury at the at the expense uh, of the ignorant, right? Which I think is uh, th- the problem with that point. Is it's 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 the very people that are getting hurt that are the least likely to truly get it, right? And that's the pro the the, the problem, I think, ultimately with inflationary economics. Nobody gets it until it's too late. Ask. A seventy-five-year-old person in Argentina, if they get it, and why? They, they may not be able to use the terminology of a Mises, but they intuitively understand what we're talking about because they've seen their currency fail, like what three times in their lifetime? Yeah, at least, right? at least, right? And it's, it's happening it's, again right now. It's happening again exactly. Uh, you know, Americans have basically gotten a free ride on this idea that you know the military-industrial complex has preserved our role as a global reserve currency but that's failing in front of our eyes we just don't want to accept it and it's going to be ugly when it's done failing and that scares the hell out of me and i don't necessarily want it to fail i want my children to live in a you know happy healthy uh place but right now i don't see how it doesn't and that scares me
1: well i think it's because a lot of us haven't experienced hyperinflation or mass inflation. Mm -hmm. We've always tend to experience this 1% or 2%. And actually, this is the bit that made me laugh. I don't know if if this kind of stood out to you, but on the very first slide about sovereign currencies, they dropped in there. A store of value as an asset that can be saved, stored, and exchanged in the future for a predictable, stable value. E.g., with 2% annual inflation, a nominal dollar today will be worth 82 cents in 10 years. So they're actually saying, right in front of your face... (laughs) That this is a store of value, but you're going to lose what's that 18% of it? (laughs) And it's no argument whether it's good or bad. It's just like you're going, this is going to happen to you. You're going to lose 18% of your wealth over 10 years.
0: Well, uh, it's just ridiculous. I mean, put hyperinflation aside for a second, right? I mean, normal inflation is death by a million cuts. Yeah. Because if, you know, the only reason, in my opinion, why there isn't rioting in the streets around how inflation works is, is that as your money gets eroded in value to zero, most people die, right? Now think about what's going to happen in the next 50 to 100 years, pandemic aside, right? Uh, Lifespans are going to increase dramatically. We're approaching a singularity moment via, um, you know, computing power, right? We don't know what's going to happen when computers are able to basically figure out problems at a rate that's way faster than a human ever could. I think lifespans could go to 125, 150. Now, what happens when money starts getting eroded at one and a half to 2% a year in value, but for a much longer time frame for the average person? It's going to become much more acute that the value of what you have in dollar terms is going to go to zero. So I don't think that the dollar system is tenable when you have people living in a much longer lifespan. I really don't. I don't think it's tenable even without that. I think it becomes much more acute that it's you know happening. The only difference is is when it's hyperinflation, you can see it happening in front of your very eyes, right? Like going down a roller coaster as opposed to you know puttering along the highway on on, on in LA. Um, but you know live 150 years, and then I think people are going to say this doesn't work for me anymore, right? Because what am I saving for?
1: Yeah, well, I think I do also think some people haven't joined the dots. Well, I know they haven't because. I think we're really exposed to this by being in the world of Bitcoin. But if you're not, a lot of people don't really think about money in great great detail. I know because I've talked to friends about it. You ask what inflation is. It's like, well, the the cost of things going up. But they don't always join the dots. That means that any savings you have are losing value. Right. I don't think people actually realize that. Or if you're not getting above inflation pay rise, you're losing money every year. Some people don't actually join those dots. And they don't even realize – yeah, I, I said to I, I made the point. Look, inflation is just another tax. It's a hidden tax, but it is another tax. Somebody came back and said, "No, it isn't."
0: Right. You know, we, we I I came up in 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 the fixed income economics world when I was at Goldman, uh, and you know, we always learned about the time value of money. And and you know, in hindsight, like it, I was basically fed a complete bullshit story. Well, the time value of money. I was taught about it like a law of of mathematics almost like this is the way it is. And in hindsight, that's not the way it is. Like that's the way you made it up, (laughs) but I wasn't taught it that way. Like I wasn't taught to like believe you basically apply a discount factor to the value of money to get a net present value over time because you erode its value. It doesn't have to be that way. So I do believe that there's always a time value of money, but the time value of money doesn't have to erode over time right? That's something that, like I said, that we arbitrarily made up. So I think Bitcoin to me is brilliant, not only in its technology and that it solves the double spend problem, but that it's opening people's eyes to Austrian thinking of what a deflationary asset could be. And the brilliant people that wrote about deflationary assets before we actually had one just blows my mind, right? And now we're seeing that playbook play out the way they predict it which also blows my mind
1: yeah i mean that's one of the great things about bitcoin actually it's been really interesting with my children i don't know how much of your how much your children have picked up some of this stuff by kind of like osmosis in the yep. background but but my son certainly has and he asks some really interesting questions about stuff like this which the, the one of the great things for me one of the best things that's come out of this experience it's not the fact that i discovered a better form of money it's not that it's that i open my eyes to understanding about economics understanding the role of government and and really corruption within government and i, I you know it's the red pill it's the red pill moment i just did an interview with uh, daniel buckner and i said i haven't really been red pilled i've almost had a intravenous drip of the red pill and i'm i'm <laughs> I'm just slowly over time getting more. But I actually, I like the world it opens you up. It's like this educational program you go to and this rabbit hole of new ideas that you have to think about. Um, Almost like, I I didn't vote in the last election because I realized I don't want to be part of that anymore because it's just part of the same game. Yeah, I just didn't want to, I mean, there wasn't a candidate worth voting for. And, And now one of the books I've got downstairs, which I started reading, which is, it's just it's, it's all against democracy. I'm, I've grown up with the belief that d- democracy is there's a best thing and, and democracy is better than a, than a dictatorship. But but is there something beyond democracy that's better? And, you know, maybe there isn't. Maybe I won't find it. But the fact is that Bitcoin's taken me on this journey to start thinking about these things.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. I mean, look, I'm not an anarchist. I, I believe in right sized government. I believe absolute power will corrupt. Absolutely. Uh, and I believe absolute power unchecked will simply feed on itself into a positive feedback loop. And I think we do have, in, in my government, in the U.S. here, checks and balances that, thank God, you know, have, have, have saved us from, from people who have tyrannical tendencies. But on the other hand, you know, it's getting out of control. I mean, it is. Fi- financial regulation in our country is a mess. There's upwards of 100 regulatory bodies in myriad financial services in the United States. Nobody can keep track of it. And it's a regulatory racket, right? You've got lawyers at one agency that basically leave and go work at private practice. And it becomes like a circular racket where basically they all get to eat, you know, at the expense of the average consumer who perceives no value from any of it. And it's a shame, right? Well, but,
1: I, yeah. I was just going to say, and I think the, the, the ultimate, kind of signal of this is the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin. I'm doing my own research into him a lot at the moment. Um, uh, you know, he, he was head of mortgage services at Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. He was one of the architects of the 2008 financial crisis. Goldman Sachs then shorted the market. Yep,
0: that's right. Which,
1: and, then, and then he leaves Goldman Sachs and sets up a bank. And the bank ends up becoming a foreclosure machine because financially they're incentivized to foreclose on people. So the people who he took the homes from the people who lost their homes through the crisis that he was an architect from, he then helped foreclose on them. And now he's Treasury Secretary, somebody who's meant to represent the people, saying, whilst flying around on private jets and his, his wife wears very expensive jewellery and, and designer clothes, saying that uh, people should be able to live on $100 a week. I mean, I, th- wow. I think it's, it's, it's beyond gross. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Next up, I talked to Bill more about the Goldman Sachs report on Bitcoin. Bitcoin. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing sponsors. So it's going to be a final shout out to Least Authority. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Please do go and check them out. Now, this one is for you techies out there, the builders creating applications. Least Authority is a security consulting company pushing the limits of how to build privacy respecting solutions. They specialize in security audits, design specification reviews, and security by design, while also making regular contributions to the open source and decentralized space. They can help you improve the security of your wallet application, key management solution, layer two protocol, P2P network design, use of cryptography, and much, much more. If you would like a boost for your security strategy, you can arrange a no-obligation call to find out how Least Authority can help your next project. Just head over to their website, hit the Schedule a Call button, and that's at leastauthority.com, which is L-E-A-S-T-A-U-T-H-O-R-I-T-Y.com. Also, Sportsbet, have you checked them out yet? The best place for online gaming, and guess what? They accept Bitcoin. We also have Sport back on the agenda the Bundesliga is back playing. The Premier League is coming back soon. We have an announcement date. I cannot wait for the Premier League to come back. Liverpool to start up their title and Tottenham to keep losing. Now, to celebrate the Bundesliga coming back, Sportsbet has a Bundesliga Streak Challenge. If you win 10 bets in a row before the end of the season, you can walk away with 100 MBTC in cash. That is 0.1 of Bitcoin. And for you sat stackers, that is 10 million sats. If you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io, which is S-P-O-R-T-S, bet.io also we've got another sports bet poker tournament coming up keep an eye out for that i will be announcing that soon and also lastly this week and ending their sponsorship for the month is crypto mining tools big thanks to scott for supporting the show let's give him a boost let's go and check them out now with the bitcoin halving behind us we know it's going to have an impact on mining profitability. And Scott from Crypto Mining Tools has a solution for Bitcoin mining equipment owners looking to get a little bit more life out of their miners. Now, I told you before how Scott had a Bitcoin mining calculator. Well, Scott has recently launched a Bitcoin mining hosting directory. If you need to move your Bitcoin miners to a more cost-effective solution due to the halving, just head over to cryptomining.tools to research hosting options available in your country and around the world. Scott is also looking to add more hosting and co-location providers to his hosting directory so if you've got a mining farm if you've got some extra space you want to get that filled reach out to scott's hosting partnership development guide that's shannon squires you can find him on telegram at squires which is s-q-u-i-r-e-s or you can use the contact form at cryptomining.tools
0: point two right.
1: point two back to debunking yep. tax. point two is that they didn't want to acknowledge or understand the true nature nature of bitcoin's scarcity the belief that if you can create another fork of coin, that you've created more Bitcoin, which is this just was, such a yeah, basic mistake.
0: This was probably the dumbest no. point that I, I came across, I, and I had to read it a few times because I just couldn't believe what I, what I was reading. That they would really say that um, you know Bitcoin is not scarce because you can create an infinite number of forks. Uh, you know, I, I don't. It, it's I don't even. I, to a certain degree, I'm not even sure what to say, right, because it's just like, oh, my God, you just really just you just don't understand. And I, I also think to some degree they do understand because otherwise they're just really dumb. And I think that they have readers who aren't exposed to Bitcoin as much as they are, who won't understand the nuance of what they're saying and will simply believe them right? Because it further entrenches their point that they shouldn't be buying Bitcoin, which helps them since they can't offer them to buy Bitcoin. And so it's obvious to anyone who studied Bitcoin that a hard fork of Bitcoin just doesn't matter. It's just more software, right? And the fact that Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a matrix. It's being inside a matrix. If you choose to copy the matrix into another computer, that's your problem. That's, that's your deal. Go do it. My MIT grads do it all the time for fun on the weekend. That's, that's how they roll. It, it has nothing to do with the Bitcoin matrix. Right. And if you choose to live inside the Bitcoin matrix, it is provably scarce today. Yes, there are ways to change the scarcity. If people decide that Bitcoin should have 42 million Bitcoin instead of 21, it is possible to fork Bitcoin to do that. As we saw with the 2x debate a couple of years ago, that is highly unlikely to happen. I mean, highly unlikely to happen. Right. And and so it is in its current state, provably scarce. And. If somebody were or a group of people uh, on the network were to create a version of Bitcoin that became the Bitcoin that made it unscarce, its value would plummet, and that's fine. That's the, probably the way it should be. And they did not in any way recognize that. They said the opposite of that, which just blew my mind. Um, yeah,
1: was, I yeah. mean we we all know that. Yeah, Roger and whoever forked bitcoin cash and then we have the fork of bitcoin sv yeah but we all know the f- the, the fatal flaws that bitcoin sv is highly centralized and is I, essentially I led care. by a couple of crooks
0: yeah I, that's fine i don't really care like, i mean we could all have our opinions on it. it it doesn't matter to me it really doesn't you know, I had this discussion with Safe on, on, a, on an Abra podcast where, you know, we talked, mm. about, we talked about the spectrum of decentralization and it's almost impossible to create a, a new decentralized currency because Satoshi was able to do it in a way where nobody knew what, what she was doing in the very earliest days, which is fine. I get that. But that doesn't really matter. They could all be crooks. Let's assume 100% of people forking Bitcoin are crooks. Or let's assume 100% of them are, are, are unbelievably honest people. Either way, my point is still the same. Right? The scarcity of Bitcoin remains untouched, unscathed, provably correct in today's form, regardless of what everyone else does with their bullshit fork. It just doesn't matter. right? And and, and actually, point three, to segue for you, is, is, is more or less a continuation of point two, which is to say they don't hmm. understand the nature of hard forks or are purposefully ignoring what, what a hard, hard fork actually means. I mean, they said... Uh, I'll just read it to you. Individual currencies have limited supplies. Crypto as a whole is not a scarce resource. And then they listed hard forks to prove their point. What the fuck? I mean, you know, it's just again, if I go out and fork Bitcoin and create Bill Coin One, Bill Coin Two, Bill Coin Three, that does not affect the scarcity of Bitcoin at all, right? It's yeah, I cannot even believe like I said, that they wrote that. And the only conclusion I can come up with is, is that they don't want people to understand the true nature of Bitcoin's scarcity in its 21 million form and the fact that it asymptotically approaches 21 million out to infinity because they are financially disin- they are financially incentivized for people not to understand that.
1: Well, scarcity is a is thing people have to get their head around as well. Uh, you know, prior to Bitcoin... I'd never considered gold as a scarce asset, which is why it had value. I thought gold had value because people wore it as jewelry. <laughs> that's, mm. that's, that was just my assumption. It's, sure. it's jewelry and sure. it's expensive, and you know it's kind of interesting. I'd, I'd never really gone into the whole scarcity. I'd certainly never looked at a stock to flow model before. Right. And I think I think scarcity is a tough thing to get your head around. But I think if it's almost the thing that if people understood first, it would be easier to convert people into Bitcoin.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe. You know, I came up through fixed income. We didn't focus on stock to flow. It did it was all about interest rate movements, right? So I think for me, you know, I get that 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 gold is scarce and that Bitcoin is potentially infinitely more scarce over time, which is a very you know, the idea that you can have an infinite stock to flow ratio is a very hard thing for a lot of people to get their their mind around. You know, stock to flow is a very simple concept. How much do I have? How much do I increase it by any at any given time? That's my stock to flow. And if if I'm increasing it by zero over time, in theory my stock to flow should go to infinity, which should speak volumes for the value of, of that asset over time. But that's orthogonal and, and and to every every idea we've been taught about economics and money in school and and assets. And and so you know like it goes back to point one about uh, you know, why we have an inflationary asset versus a deflationary asset to, to von Mises's point. Well, we made it up. We we chose to make it up in a way that hurts the masses, you know, versus the treasury. And, you know, anyway, this whole point about forks was so infuriating to me. Not not so much that they got it wrong. I think it was purposefully misleading to their own benefits.
1: Mm. Yeah. All right, let's get to the last point. They associate Bitcoin with scams and Ponzi schemes without acknowledging the Internet's own sordid past and beginnings and parallels to Bitcoin's own potential market uh, maturation. And that, that's a really important point because porn has always innovated with tech.
0: Absolutely. Always. I mean, if you look at online video, internet, .com sites, even credit card processing, to my knowledge, the first major credit card usage online was was porn. I, I'm not saying I love it. I'm just saying it is and and so it's simply been diluted over time with everything else we use the internet for you know uh learning at home you know zoom whatever you know netflix whatever the hell people are doing which is fine uh even, I, I also don't have a problem if people want to use porn go do it I, I don't care my point is is that you know all these sorted things are there for a reason and it's they're there because a lot of people use them whether i like it or not and i don't really have a problem with online gambling i don't do it i'm not interested in it but if people are Have at it. I could care less. Anyway, it's it's silly, but it also reinforces what I said earlier to me, which is that this is exactly how tech analysts looked at the internet back when Netscape went public and in my mind, as a result, remain a trailing indicator for where this is going. So if you want leading advice as to where this stuff is going, you're not going to go to Goldman Sachs right there's people like kathy woods for example who i just adore you know she talks about exponential technologies she, she follows bitcoin she follows in her etf work uh, uh tesla nvidia companies that grow exponentially where she she's a leading indicator right in in the wall street world there are leading indicators out there and Goldman is not one of them so if, if to, to, to put this a positive spin on this there are places you can go that aren't just our kind of self-reinforcing let's let's call it bitcoin bubble that you know will tell the truth about where things are going with their own financial incentives as opposed to the opposite which is what goldman is giving us
1: well this was their big scary slide right let's be really scary so they talked about plus token but plus token isn't a fault of bitcoin
0: it just doesn't matter
1: yeah it just um, doesn't matter
0: i mean yeah
1: but the two the two things that really pissed me off this really got to me
0: where I got angry.
1: The first one was money laundering. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like the banks themselves haven't been involved the, in money laundering themselves. Not only that, the, the
0: biggest money launderers in the world are U.S. banks. And yeah. I've had this conversation with U.S. regulators, the OCC. Like, I've literally said that to executives at the OCC. And they look at me like, I've got three heads, like, who the fuck is this guy? And how could he possibly say that to my face? And I said, well, uh, well get your heads out of your ass. Everybody knows it. Um, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it is what it is. So the idea that you would associate Bitcoin with money laundering, as Goldman, is just a complete joke.
1: Yeah, and also I I come back to this point often. Well, I actually think if I, I mean if I was going to commit a crime right now and I had to move money around, I think Bitcoin would be one of the last things I would choose.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, look at the FBI. I mean, they they love Bitcoin. They love Bitcoin because you know it creates more traceability in, in a bearer instrument than traditional cash. You know, but the, the equivalent that, with the equivalent with cash would be taking the serial number of every dollar bill, putting it in an Excel spreadsheet, and, and making sure that everybody told everybody else the serial number of the money they were using. That's yeah, more or less what haven't. happens with Bitcoin. Right. But I, I I hesitate to say that because I don't want to give them the idea. <laughs> but 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 that's more or less what Bitcoin does. I'm not saying it's good or bad, it just is. And, yeah. and that makes it highly traceable if you know what you're doing. Now, I'm not suggesting that I like all these services that go out and trace what's happening with wallets. I, I wish they would just leave everyone alone, but they're there and it's proven that it's traceable. So but, to but, say that it's useful for money laundering is just crazy.
1: Well, and, and the last thing that did, this is a personal one, but this this other it's a tougher one to explain to people, but the darknet markets thing annoyed me. I'll tell you why it annoyed me. Firstly, it was my introduction into Bitcoin, my two, both times actually firstly first time as somebody who you know wanted to go to the Silk Road to get some things but the yeah. second time obviously I've, I've talked about getting something from my mother right um now i understand there's some horrible dark markets out there selling vile horrible things but there are dark markets out there i think that's sometimes the dark the the name dark market and the dark net market is actually also misleading They should be called a liberty market like if it's about if you right. wanted to buy I don't know Drugs. I think it's a liberty market because well, it's it's allowed or, you to do something you want to do,
0: right? Or the worst named law in U.S. history is the Patri- Patriot Act. There's nothing patriotic <laughs> about it. So why don't we just call them Patriot Markets?
1: Yeah, <laughs> Patriot Markets. Yeah. But that that one annoyed me. But then the whole slide, I'm like, this slide here is just here to scare the shit out of people. And and look, this whole thing, it was a bait. It was a bait. I got baited. I was like, amazing. Goldman are going to be talking about Bitcoin. Finally, they accept it. Finally, they understand it. And then out it comes. I was like, oh, fucking fuck those guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. I, I did a TED talk on Bitcoin. I think it was 2012 or it was very did early. And, yeah, it was the first yeah, Did you? One. I didn't and, know that. Yeah. And it was trading at about $2. And it's online somewhere, but it's a... It, I'm it, going to find it. it. Yeah. It's, it's not a very good recording, but it's out there. And um, I had never used Silk Road and I had never even used Tor at the time. And so I had to figure it was really hard to install I couldn't and I have a degree in computer science I'm a pretty smart guy. I, I like this took me a really long time to do you got to be motivated for this shit And it was my first introduction to the dark net. I actually had bitcoin already, but I hadn't actually used right. the, the, the dark web. So, um, it was fascinating You know, and it was part of what was fascinating. To me was how hard it was to do It wasn't easy, but you know, to, to your point There's hundreds of thousands of people doing this every day and there's a reason why because they feel that they have the right to do this and they don't want government telling them that they can't and look outside of, I'm i I believe that people doing uh, uh, Child pornography online should go to jail I I believe that I know there's a lot of anarchists out there in the bitcoin world that don't believe that I think they're fucked up in the head but That's what I believe But I think there's a lot of things that happen on the dark web that people should simply Be allowed to do because they're not hurting anyone except except maybe themselves, but I don't need the government to tell me if I can or can't hurt myself. And that's the difference in how I look at it versus I think a lot of the other anarchists who think everything should, it should be a free for all. But uh, yeah. So to your point, I think dark web is probably a, a misnamed uh, yeah. like a virtual place on the internet.
1: So I think we can conclude this by saying, fuck you, Goldman. <laughs> 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 Just okay. fuck off.
0: Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the Goldman alumni group. I don't know if I'm going to get thrown right. out. After this, but uh, it's okay. Still, uh, my guess is, if I choose to give them my money, which I don't right now, maybe they'll still take it. So,
1: yeah, you're one of us. But look, you've been around this for a Bitcoin thing for a lot longer than I have. You've fought in the trenches and you've know, been through the mill more than most people. Like where, how, how do you feel about where we are right now, Bill? It's uh, it feels like there's a lot of weird shit going on along in the, uh, going on in the world. We talked about that early on, and it's it's almost like we're very lucky to have Bitcoin alongside all this kind of weirdness going on yeah. how do you take it all in now but haven't been in it for so long
0: it's so early you know we've never had a new asset class like i said in, in any of our lifetimes um, i love the the updated cross asset stock to flow mm-hmm. article that plan b published which uh talks about uh, he has this idea of clusters I have the uh, link and the uh, graph, the key graph in in the the article I published yesterday. And he basically uh, uh, equates those clusters to use cases. And cluster one was a proof of concept where Mm -hmm. there was probably a hundred people, a couple hundred people that really cared. Um, Payments, which was really dark web, was the second cluster. We're in this third cluster now, which is e-gold. And by definition, when it's being hoarded, it's being hoarded by a relatively small number of people, and this manifests. We're in cluster four. I don't think we're really in cluster four yet. I think we're transitioning into it. If I okay, understand correctly, I'm not sure. I may have that t- a little bit wrong. Yeah, yeah. But I think the the point about e gold was if you look at volumes post 2017, trading volumes were very muted, um, and the price was driven by the fact that there simply weren't a lot of sellers. Period. Are there buyers? Yes or no. But there aren't a lot of sellers because most people are holding. Even today that's the case. If you if you look at the volumes right now on exchanges, they're not huge uh, by any standard. It's just that you know the sellers are pretty low, and we'll see any given day, day how many buyers there are. And if it really moves into that financial assets cluster, like he's where she's predicting, I think they're look, all models are wrong. Just some are more useful than others. I fundamentally believe that. His model is wrong. I just don't know how wrong. If it turns out to be useful, look out, right? I mean, we're in for a hell of a ride. But it's the best model I've seen, which makes it super interesting to me. Uh, and and so, yeah, in that regard, I think it's uh, it's Bitcoin's got a very interesting five years ahead. Very so interesting. What's the cost I, of five? Oh God! Because uh, yeah, I've been—that's be what
1: I've been thinking about. That
0: reserve currency.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If it's reserve currency, look out. Right? Yeah, I know. Yeah.
1: It only has to take one one state to do it as well.
0: Yeah. I don't know that it has the... Well, I guess, you know, layer two and layer three would deal with its ability to move around in large quantities to make it a, a, a reserve currency. In its current form, it wouldn't work as a reserve currency because you just can't move enough of it across enough entities in real time. But if it evolves in that way, I can certainly see it happening.
1: Yeah. P- perhaps maybe on liquid
0: maybe i think there yeah. even that's very early um I don't, I don't think we fully have realized the the kind of banking equivalent stack for what layers two three and four would have to look like to make it a um uh what do i call it a, a global reserve currency but i think a lot of pe- smart people people smarter than me are thinking about that and that's great that's going to take another 10 years so
1: so what do you think of the most important things now like wh- where's you where's your focus in terms of the next five years for bitcoin
0: well at Abra, my focus is making it super easy for the average person to buy hold trade invest uh in in bitcoin using their bank account using other stable coins whatever they want anywhere in the world we have customers in 100 countries just new products from us this year people are able to generate interest on in their bitcoin people to borrow against it we, we're doing institutional lending now for people who want to make high yield on their bitcoin um, kind of creating our own banking stack for Bitcoin, but in a very safe, secure, methodical way. And we've been at it for five years. So you know our, our million-plus wallets are growing at a steady rate, and, and it's, it's uh, to us, it's a, a very long marathon. And we're committed to being a key, uh, a key player in that ecosystem and continuing to innovate and drive value for people and hopefully getting closer and closer as we go to the average consumer. Because it still tends to be more of an initiated person as opposed to an average consumer. And I think that at the end of this next five-year cycle, we'll be much closer to the average consumer. Whether they know they're getting Bitcoin or not, we'll see. But I think that's where we'll be.
1: And how are you enjoying getting into the podcast game?
0: Look, I mean, we do it for Abra. Um, yeah. you, know, you go way deeper. Um, but I, I, I enjoy it in the context of we have a lot of loyal users Mm -hmm. We get feedback from them on what they're interested in, and we focus and go very deep on that, and we don't really do anything else. And so in that regard, I'm happy to do it. And uh, are you enjoying it? I do. I do. One, because it's generally topics that I'm interested in, Uh and uh, it breaks up the average day for me as a CEO. And dealing with all the stuff that a CEO has to deal with, whether it's people's personal issues or the, the company's revenue or product planning, it's, it's a good uh, kind of mix for me. We don't do, we only do one every couple of weeks. And, and so sometimes we cluster them and then release them on a, a stage way. So it's not like you where you're probably doing multiple a day sometimes. I just don't have the time for that. So that actually makes it even more enjoyable because we get to pick and choose the things that are probably most enjoyable to our uh, more focused audience where you have and, a, a much broader audience right of course yeah
1: is everyone i guess your whole team's remote right now
0: of course we've been remote for almost three months yeah yeah
1: do you think you yeah. might stay that way
0: i would love to but i'm not speaking for the whole company um i don't know it's a good question opportun- i mean
1: it's one of those reset opportunities right where
0: yeah i'll tell you where it gets tough you and i have teenagers yeah uh I have employees with infants, they have it tough, right? So being there in the house full-time with an infant with the outside help that you had paid before being unable to help and still maintain a full-time job, that is, that's not easy. And so I think those people would be glad to have an office right now.
1: Well, yeah, even with a 10 year old and a 16 year old, there are, Multiple times in the day, I'm having to stop my work, go downstairs, say, "Can you stop fighting? Or can I help with the homework? <laughs>
0: or, or stop screaming at the video game?" To, in my case, yeah.
1: we, well, there's that, or, and uh, what do you want for lunch? And and then also just, I have to take them out. We have to go out and do something every right. day. So my eight-hour day is, is becoming a stretched kind of yeah, 15 same. 16 sixteen-hour day. But I, I, look, this has been mainly been good, so I don't, I don't really want to whinge about it. But I have i did this um other show and i spoke to sam lesson um he's great yeah he's really really great really interesting guy but he was saying a lot of people aren't going to want to go back to the office it might it might not completely go it might be people go for one day a week or two days a week because they want the interaction but companies aren't going to need these huge leases anymore which might change the whole geography of cities
0: right yeah. I, it's interesting that you use him as an example because, you know, we've, we've spoken in the past and he, he's got a beautiful house, right? Smack in the middle of San Francisco. And um, that's an example of a place that's become a disaster as far as I'm concerned. And this mm-hmm. may be the beginning of the end for the current model of San Francisco, where all these big unicorns just don't want to be there anymore because their employees are like, fuck this. I can't afford it. There's homeless everywhere, you know, and drugs in the streets and this used to be paradise and it's become hell on earth for a lot of people which makes no sense and it doesn't have to be that way and so um let to pick on san francisco there's a bunch of places that i think are are, are facing this you know yeah but, so but, I e-
1: but but san francisco is particularly unique i've noticed oh, it going over there for i mean i first went there how old was my? So i was 30 11 years ago it was great. I had such a good time. It's beautiful. And every year I go once or twice, yeah. It's just got worse and yeah. worse. And the last time um, I discovered the Tenderloin, which uh, you know, I, oh, I, oh. I feel dreadfully sorry if anyone's homeless. Anyone's yeah. got a drug problem. I've got nothing against it. But I, I not only did I run through the Tenderloin, I was like, well, what the hell is this? But also just outside shops on main streets, I saw people – like I saw one guy who was just off his face shouting – at the street like there was no one there he just didn't know what he was doing and yeah and it, it's just not something you can cope with you yeah. need some support infrastructure around it and i don't know i just feel very sad about what's happened to san francisco
0: i i do too i i moved here i think it was 1990 when i was working at nasa going to stanford and I couldn't believe it. I'd never been west of the Mississippi in my life. And I got to California in San Francisco. And I was like, oh my God, it's paradise. And it was right after the earthquake where there was significant damage. That B Street area by the, the part of Fine Arts was all destroyed, but it was still beautiful. And now I walk around like the South part, like Soma, Tenderloin, even Hayes Valley now, which even two years ago, Hayes Valley was fantastic. Overrun. And this there's this... I hate to say this, but there's this liberal, progressive lack of tough love. Over the last 10, 15 years, the kind of progressive liberal mentality has has basically played off the, the tech company boom, which wasn't San Francisco-based years ago. It was more in the peninsula, right? And it was supported by suburbia. When it moved to the city, the, the progressive liberal mentality basically couldn't handle the, the the tech boom, and there was no tough love that it takes to manage a city like Giuliani in the mid nineties or early nineties in New York, he may have become Mm -hmm. a nut in the last few years in in many ways, but But he he was exactly, he changed the city. If you want to live in a city where everybody's on top of each other, you have to play by a different set of rules than when you're in an environment like I am here where everybody's spread out, right? Don't live in a city and agree to live on top of a million other people If you're not willing to play by stricter rules, it makes no sense. makes no sense. But yet San Francisco has this live and let live policy that makes more sense for Montana than it does for the Tenderloin, right? Mm -hmm. And until the liberals in that city change that mindset and agree that they need more tough love to manage their city, it is going to continue to get worse, not better.
1: Yeah, it is, it, is, it is such a shame. And, and you're right about New York. I'm I, The first time I went to New York, you didn't really go to Brooklyn. Right. Did you? I right. mean, you could, but like, yeah. you certainly wouldn't go at, now, at night. Yeah, uh, that's right. The last, couple of, the last couple of times I've been to New York, I actually prefer to stay in Brooklyn now. It's well, so my strange. family's
0: from the Bronx. And wow. I would go into the Bronx as a kid to visit my grandparents. And in the se- late 70s, it was horrible. I mean, you know, that whole Bronx is burning... You know, it, it really it was a real thing and I remember when we had the rolling blackouts and the and the riots and Looting and and it slowly got better and it really culminated under um, Giuliani's broken window policies where the city got the tough love that it finally needed And a lot of liberals said hey, this is unfair. It's unjust you're treating homeless horribly And the reality is they weren't there were programs in place to help the homeless It's 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 possible to have both you can have tough love and you can care and basically do what's right by people who are less fortunate, without basic, basically creating this cesspool of nonsense that has basically pervaded San Francisco.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, I hope it changes because i I love I love San Francisco and I love yeah, California. Same, um, same. And um, I'm not going to stop going there, but it just. I don't know. I just don't get as excited anymore. So I'm like, oh, where am I going to stay? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually even considered last time staying over over the bridge in Marin just yeah, uh, just for something different because uh, yep. I like it over there. And I think if I lived there, that's where I'd probably live. But uh, all right. Well, anyway, look, Bill, this is great. I'm going to get this out tomorrow. We're going to debunk Goldman Sachs. Fuck those guys. Um, uh, it's good to see you. I'm yeah, sorry we're not too. doing it in person, um, but I'm that's sure right. at some point when the planes are going, I'll be back yeah. over. And it's we'll always grab, great to we'll see you
0: yeah i'm looking forward to watching you next week on uh on ryan's conference so
1: yeah monday monday right yeah, I've got yeah to get,
0: i'll be got watching my shit together with that so great yeah. all right all Well, right. listen
1: look, have a great weekend and i will see you soon
0: thanks vigo all
1: right what did you make of that did you enjoy that show with bill the level of misinformation and ignorance in this goldman sachs presentation investment call is actually it's pretty funny It's a sort of fud we've become used to seeing and debunking in the Bitcoin world, but I was personally surprised how amateur it was, and I think Bill was too. Now, while Bill suggested that this is really the opinion of a particular analyst rather than Goldman as a whole, it is clear there's still a large number of people in the traditional finance world that just do not understand Bitcoin or refuse to take the time to get in the weeds and understand it like maybe we have, or perhaps they are just spinning their own narrative to benefit themselves. Anyway, I really enjoyed this discussion. Always like talking to Bill. He did a great job of debunking the bullshit in this presentation. If you've got any questions about it or any feedback, you can reach out to me. It is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, go and check out Defiance. I've been releasing some new style like mini documentaries on that. I've got the Money Game Cheaters edition and the Future of Tech, the Good, the Bad and Orwellian. That's it, Defiance News. Please do let me know what you think. If you've got any questions about the show, you can reach out to me. It's hello at did.com. Outside of that, have a great weekend.